This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. Technology has and continues to transform the way we learn, both in and outside the classroom. With the proliferation of digital devices, online platforms, and educational software, students today have access to a wealth of information and resources that you and I could only dream of. This has created previously unimaginable opportunities for personalized and self-directed learning. We've come a long way from the chalkboard, but these tools aren't without risk. Learning comprehension, classroom distractions, plagiarism, and the ability of educators to accurately assess a student's knowledge transfer are under incredible pressure. My guest this week is Dr. Kendall Hartley, an associate professor of educational technology in the Department of Teaching and Learning at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Dr. Hartley's expertise lies at the intersection of technology and education, and he has spent his career exploring how technology can be leveraged to enhance the learning outcomes we desire, while also warning us of the risk to students' mental health and academic integrity if we don't teach and enforce self-regulatory skills. This is a critical conversation in the era of smartphones and even smarter applications. Please listen carefully to my guest, Dr. Kendall Hartley, on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Kendall, when you think about the implications of technology with learning, how does that work? And, and how do you even get into, as a, as a professor, into this particular field? Yeah, it was, it was a somewhat of a strange route, I guess. It's, uh, um, and I, won't, I shouldn't go this far back, but it is, it's really interesting. My dad was a community college instructor um, in the 70s and 80s, which, right. you know, you, you think back, well, okay, that's introduction of uh, computers. And so I actually had a chance to, on Saturdays, go out and get on a computer in the you know late 70s, early 80s and learn to do a little programming, which was really cool. And nobody else could really say that, certainly at school. Half so, of our so audience is going to nod their head and say, yeah, I remember those Radio Shack trash 80s or whatever, Casios or whatever they were before, yeah. IBM XTs. The other half of our audience is going to be like, what? What is that? You had to right? go to some place on a Saturday to get on a computer. It wasn't <laughs> on your phone. No, no. Terrifying. Yeah, was, yeah, and I even ended up working at Radio Shack eventually in high school too. So, uh, but fast forward to teaching, I got into uh, teaching um, in '93, my first high school gig, and about that time was also uh, um, Mosaic was coming out, World Wide Web, and we, all oh, of a sudden yeah. we started to have access to this stuff, and it just it just blew my mind thinking about all I could do. Uh, with the students with this. And about the same time, I was working on graduate work um, on, of course, education, science education. But I knew that this technology component was going to be uh, really interesting and really important for teaching and learning going forward. So I was fortunate enough to get involved in a program at the University of Nebraska that I could do that. I could study. We actually we were learning JavaScript or learning how to uh, make um, some websites that uh, could actually teach people things. Mm-hmm. Um, which back in the 90s, that's this was kind of early stuff. So so I was really interested in, uh, you know, during the day I was a science teacher. I'm setting up labs. I'm having kids um, hopefully not blow things up, but you're doing all sorts of interesting things that get kind of complicated. And, for example, one of the things was the gas laws. You know, we had to do uh, Charles Law. You heat things up, and it's going to take up more volume. And, and you do all these cool experiments or demonstrations like the bell jar, and you make a vacuum, and you see the marshmallow explode and all. Right. Really cool stuff, but it was a pain to set up. 
And here appears this applet online, um, a Java applet that shows how you can do the gas laws. And the kids can manipulate the different variables and they see how it impacts stuff. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be great. Um, so, so that's what I ended up studying um, and learned a lot about, um, in particular, how technology could support students. And um, I was really interested in how what we call self-regulated learning, self-regulatory skills were super important for students to be successful. And some kids had these skills and some did not. You know, things like knowing that you need to kind of reread something when it's not making sense or some sort of strategies. These strategies and kind of habits of mind turn out to be really important for success for students. Well, you throw technology into the mix and for example, the World Wide Web, all of a sudden you have all these distractions. Um, you know, animated GIFs were, of course, uh, uh, one of the first things we could do, and they're all over the place, right? Yeah. Worst thing ever for somebody to try to understand something or learn something. So, um, but you could also go into it wasn't just this linear book anymore, right? You could go, you could go in all these multiple directions. So that's some of the first research we did too, as we looked at, hey, what does this mean for different students with different aptitudes when you give them something that lets them go in a variety of directions? And it turns out it's, it's important, right? And mm -hmm. certain skills and habits of mind are going to be more um, in tuned. You're going to be able to uh, resonate with um, that kind of environment and still learn from it. So, and then fast forward even more now, my current research has to do with smartphones and learning and what are the impacts of that. Um, I, I find out how students are using their smartphone when they're studying or not using it. And again, we find there's some obvious habits of mind that are, can lead into some really successful learning. And there's some habits that are really detrimental. And right. we can kind of bifurcate the students based on some of these responses and how well they're going to do in their first year of college. Um, and then that's not why you brought me here, though, necessarily. And that's how I ended up being kind of the technology person. But. Right. Well, there are several things in that I want to talk about. I'm going to go back to the beginning in a second. But first, so when you saw the very publicized tools from the various OpenAI projects. Um, the most famous right now is ChatGPT, but there are many of them mm -hmm. out there or, or related. <clears throat> um, and, and nerds in our world have known about them for a long time. Um, the other day I made a picture of like four cowboys riding glass lizards at a rodeo i tried to take that and it made it this beautiful cool picture and i tried to turn that into chat gpt and have it write a uh a rap to it and all kind of it was just fun but so when you heard about all this getting blow, blown up did you say for to yourself and you don't have to confess it here we may edit this out of the podcast i got 20 more years of work and 30 more <laughs> years of work to retirement uh don't answer that don't answer that hey back when you first saw that applet uh, with the gas experiment that you were talking about, what was the reaction to the community around you? Not the students, but the uh, people who make textbooks, people who do education. Were they like, this is the end? It's fallen apart? Or did they say, this is intriguing or it's just a fad? What was the reaction? Do you remember? You know, yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a different comparison because we didn't have um, computers everywhere, right? So it was, uh, and and I was, of course, the nerd in the at least in the of the teacher group. So, um, you know, that that's interesting, but I'm not sure that's going to um, change much. Whereas in my mind, I was like, you know, this is going to change a lot. Um, and uh, but it's it's similar to what you mentioned before, though. There's going to be those that are advocates, and they're like, oh, this is going to uh, this is going to be great. Um, and then there's those that are like, hey, they just need to, they actually need to do the physical experiment. They don't, they don't need these uh, simulations. That's just not going to cut it. 
Um, and then, you know, of course you find yourself somewhere in between, you right. know, I tended towards kind of the more advocacy side because I could see some potential, but there is the drawbacks. The smartphone is an example of one that's, it's really, it's, it's been brutal for, um, learning for, you know, a good, good proportion of our student population. So on the one hand, I love that idea of the applet that you were talking about because it gives access to right. a whole bunch of places that maybe they don't have a science lab. They don't have uh, somebody that can supervise. They don't have the risk. They don't have the insurance. They don't, you know, whatever the circumstances are, they yeah. um, they can introduce it to students uh, maybe that they don't want to just uh, turn over mechanisms and controls like that. So on the one hand, um, I love it. What It reminds me in a real weird way. I remember when we rolled out, um, I was at the University of Texas, and we rolled out like WordPerfect to yeah. the admin staff word perfect and word i can't remember which whatever it was and boy you'd have thought we were burning people at the stake i mean they were very traumatized and there were um three distinct groups group one is people who have been in the typist pool or following a program uh my friends these are my friends i'm not picking on them uh but they they were really challenged and felt threatened i don't know how to use this technology it's going to take away the the personal touch in my skills that I've developed all these years. And um, it was very distressing. And then we had a younger group that had didn't have 20, 30 years of investment. So these aren't students necessarily. This is just a reaction of the marketplace mm -hmm. to technology. And they're like, oh, I don't have to worry about ink. I don't have to worry, you know, ribbons. I don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. I've got, um, I can copy and paste. I can do all these yeah. other things. I can save it on a hard drive. Like just in all of these other ways, they thought it was wonderful. And the third group was basically the administrative staff of the, of the departments that I worked for at the university. They didn't care for them. They just saw efficiency, searchability, um, sure, security risk because it's easier to sort of poach an unsecure file or document than it is to go into a file cabinet and get it out. But right. um, anyway, so you saw this reaction, but I it wasn't a, other than this small group of users, it wasn't a big emotional reaction. And over the years, as more and more technology has been introduced into the learning world and sort of my side glance to it, um, and then as a parent with kids, um, and I'm a technologist, so generally I embrace it so long as there are control mechanisms. I thought it was really interesting what you said about the smartphones, though, because that's a whole nother kind of, that's a technology they walk into the classroom with. It's not a, it's not a technology like in the computers, people provide a computer lab. Um, and so many of these other things you had. You had the devices already in the room. They were on a hardened network. You only had access to certain apps used in a certain way with certain credentials, unless you were the super nerd who could break into something that every teen movie shows. Which, yeah, um, right. but, but generally, it was much more controlled environment. But when right. I could bring in my smart device, later tablet, <clears throat> it changed everything. I mean, we've had yeah. it where people are recording stuff they shouldn't record or a teacher right. or invading the privacy of people around. Like, it's just very disruptive, um, while also bringing great opportunities. So as you started getting into this, into your research, what are some of the things that you found like, man, this is working well and other stuff where you're like, this is not that great? Yeah. So I guess one of the things I've kind of come around to is it's about teaching the students or the users um, 
to become better learners on their own right. So they, you know, let's, you know, as the smartphone as an example, it, it has all these affordances that all of a sudden, and, and again, I taught high school for several years, so this isn't necessarily personal student experience, but watching, you know, assignments get copied, right? How do they get copied? Well, you'd have to have the person who knew the answers first off, you'd have to somehow exchange the paper and, um, you know, maybe you took some time copying it. Well, now the, um, the student, one student does the assignment, takes a picture of it, and sends it out to the group chat, <laughs> you know, and it's just instantly there, right? And I, you know, I, I wasn't aware of this. Um, they didn't have the smartphones when I was teaching high school yet. But um, I confess, I saw sometimes some photos would show up on my kids' phones. I'm like, Why are you taking pictures of that? Oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's somebody else's document here. You know? <laughs> so, so these things, you know, every new technology provides these new opportunities for for ways for um, students to do things they don't want to do. And I don't, you know, some right. of them you don't blame them for not wanting to do, especially right. if it's busy work. So, so it's really helped me kind of uh, try to um, reconceptualize how you uh, approach students about learning, you know, and what's, what's the point of this, what's the purpose of this and help them to kind of think about, yeah, you, yeah, you got the points for that assignment, but now you have to take a test on this and and how are you going to do on that? Um, and, you know, and that's a, a, a different conversation. So, it's, so it helps you get students kind of engaged in talking about what it really means to be a learner as opposed to, um, you know, some of the, the hoops that we go through, we ask students to go through to demonstrate um, what they're trying to, what we want them to demonstrate that they've learned. Before this last year, which we'll get to um, the elephant in the room, which is the these AI tools, how, how would you say smartphones are more beneficial or more disruptive to the learning, um, the learning experience and the integrity of, of learning? So, so what I focused in on in my research, I'll be real specific here, is about how students use or don't use a smartphone while they're studying. Mm. And in that scenario, it's been brutal. It's really, <laughs> really terrible because it's, um, you know, so much of what you, you know, all of us experience with school comes down to these really good sessions of concentration and, and non-distraction. Right. And and, you know, whatever we want, might want to believe about multitasking, it's really task, quick task switching um, is what you're doing. You're not necessarily doing two things at once. And when it comes to studying, especially some difficult material, this constant need to pay attention to what happens on that phone um, is, is overall, it's quite negative. And the students who figure that out, they figure out how to make sure that thing's not available. But, but the, I mean, it's, the, these things are, they're, they're distraction devices. That's what they're designed for. I mean, that's right. all that uh, Google and Apple. And um, if you don't use this thing, then it does um, a lot, whole lot of companies <laughs> very little good. So, so the notification systems, the, all the different mechanisms for it to to get your attention, um, are um, really really uh, can be damaging if if students don't know how to manage them. And even right. when they do, there's so much pressure for them to be paying attention to direct messages on Instagram or, um, you know, even just regular text messages from your parents or those kinds of things. And that if, if they don't have a strategy for setting aside time to really concentrate, it's, it's very detrimental. You, you've completely surprised me because this is not where I thought the conversation was going, but I love it. And I'm resonating because I have um, now in their twenties, late teens and twenties um, kids in, uh, in college, post-college, pre-college. Um, I thought what you were going to tell me through your research was how it impacts 
plagiarism or how it impacts, um, which I'm sure there's some element there, or uh, you know, or how it how it creates access, and that'd be interesting to talk about in a minute. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about the consequence of having this addiction. Basically, your fix mm-hmm. that you've got to hit. Um, it, there, a few years ago, there was a documentary. I don't remember the name of it. I remember one of the main folks, and it was a guy named Tristan Harris, and he talked about, I've never forgotten this phrase, we don't live in an information age, we live in an attention age. We've monetized right. attention. Attention economy. Yeah. Attention economy, that's it exactly. And so we've, <clears throat> um, and I live it. I mean, I'm, I'm in the data center industry, and so data, every e-commerce, social media, uh, platform as a service, um, cloud compute, whatever is in one of my data centers, I'm sure somewhere around the world. And um, I forget, I, I more think about technology, hey, how am I going to use this to edit my paper and cite it correctly? And part of the exercise of writing a paper is not did you choose the right, not can you regurgitate a historical fact on who won or didn't win the battle, but can you build an argument? Can you cite it correctly? What's your grammar and your sentence and your critical thinking look like? I want to see an illustration of that. And there's so many tools now uh, through whatever device you're using that can help that can help you craft that so you don't mm-hmm. necessarily or it's harder to evaluate the skill of the person that you're evaluating because these tools are doing it. I didn't even think about the maybe you don't even get there because you're so distracted by the Oh, yeah. The just you know the thing in the room that's just this whisperer in your ear, constantly. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible challenge, and it's. Uh, um, well, how have you solved it? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> well, we want to know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I tried, and maybe it's just I have kids similar ages. It sounds like so I've tried unsuccessfully to uh, help them, you know, better consider uh, where they where they need to go with it. But but that's how I kind of got to this too. Is I was actually. I was at a, a football game and a couple of my nephews were there and they were both uh, were graduating or recently graduated. And, and I was like, you know, okay, what's, what's the difference here? You guys have, you've, you've made this work. What, tell me how this happens in terms of your studying and your relationship to social media and smartphone. Mm-hmm. They were both and it really surprised me because I knew they, they used these quite a bit. It was like, Oh no, when I'm studying, that thing's in the other room, it's shut down, it's powered down. So they had figured it out. And so that was kind of my my interest was seeing, okay, and, and that's related to the things that I was studying back in the 90s about self-regulated learning and how do they better deal with um, these web-based um, instructional materials. And it's the same type of thing. You know, people, they come up with strategies and they, they, they understand the value of going through something systematically, focusing their attention and not jumping in the random places, so... So that's that's what we try to do. And that's what we try to do with these students now is we try to nudge them into thinking more about what are the consequences of having this available and some strategies like uh, Pomodoro's, um, you know, these little uh, apps. <laughs> Sounds terrible to use an app to solve the problem, but sometimes it works where it's, uh, you know, it's just a 24 minute timer and you just use that to um, say, OK, for this amount of time, the phone's off. Um, I'm not paying attention to it. I'm going to just um, pound through this. And then maybe I need a break and I can do it. But um, right. that's that's one particular strategy. Well, if you're somebody who lives in the world of apps, I mean, we are, we see it all the time. You can't add a phone to a car while you're moving. The car will say, no, nope, you got to stop and park. And it doesn't ask you if you're in an empty parking lot or whatever. Just this, right? It imposes certain things. Right. Um, yeah. You can put on your router at home times that people can access stuff or or the types of things they can access. So 
to have yeah. apps. I have an app on my watch that tells me stand when I need to stand right. um, because I, I end up sitting a lot and I forget. I start off the goal to eat right and to move correctly and to, get, to hydrate correctly. And, and then I get, you know, my attention is captured, whether it's yep. It's a it's a mind building thing or a mind sucking thing. Sometimes it's this you know this two sides of that coin. But either way, the physical part of me, um, the cognitive part of me, needs to be reminded we're not why we're not built. The best part of human beings is not sitting still in a chair for hours right. at a time without hydrating and moving and doing these other things. And so if I don't do that at 25, it probably wasn't a big deal, (laughs) but uh, all these jumps and hitting the ground and dirt bike crashes and old age later, I feel it if I sit there. So I, so my apps tell me, Hey, move, you should know to move and you should have a plan, a self-regulatory plan, but I don't, I intend, (laughs) but I don't actually do it. And so my apps help me. Have you had any success um, as you as you've gone through this, besides doing the research to say, "Hey, look, here's a problem," and we would all agree, not in your head. And actually, before you answer this, just the other day, and I, I'll confess my bias in the beginning. I think it's a ridiculous thing, but I just don't know the discussion well enough. I heard some politicians as I walked through. We have the different news channels up in uh, in the office, <clears throat> and somebody was trying to introduce legislature. Um, responding to children and social media, which I 100% understand the concern of parents. I live in that world too. My children are all girls. Um, and so that's my only experience. And I know how they, how social media and and their devices have impacted their life in a way that was not that way when I was a kid. I'm the oldest of five. My wife's one of eight. We come from different parts of the country, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities, and yet 90% of our world was very similar. Um, and it's nothing like my kid's world or, our, mm-hmm. or their reaction to the world or their experiences. The, what's the single biggest change are these devices, I would say, right. and these apps are available to them. So with that as a background, when I see a politician or groups of politicians saying there's a risk and there's these other things, we need to impose um, some sort of regulatory whatever. Now, I... I get it if we're talking about adult content or we're talking about things that a brain that's developing doesn't have the ability yet. Um, we, 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 we impose them in our society in a wide variety of ways. So in general, I'm not opposed to them if we collectively agree. But I just feel like a, trying to do a technology thing like that is just so difficult to uh, uh, enforce and it's so difficult to manage and regulate who's gonna who's gonna be the police yes. on this yeah well if you think back to um you know back to in my uh, early computer days what we were exposed to we were still exposed to media right but it was <clears throat> it was four channels probably yeah and those four channels had to um, adhere to certain guidelines about how much was going to be um, um uh, what how did they say you know educational content right. it had to be um, you know and if you're going to start cursing it better be after 10 o'clock and some right. of those kinds of things so and, you know, um, there's a lot of people that believe that we, my family actually ran the public access channel too. So that's not, you're going to run cable, you're going to be the cable company, you're going to support a public access channel too, which, mm-hmm. which they still do to some degree and PBS mm-hmm. and some of these kinds of things. But all that stuff now, 
what our our kids are exposed to. So if that's what you and I were exposed to, it's pretty limited. Now all of a sudden they have these things that uh, they get exposed to. Everything and there's literally no control at all of what they're exposed to. So so I guess what I'm saying is there was some rationale for um, you know being careful about what as a society we're going to um, allow, especially the youngest folks, um, to access. And uh, there, there might be reason to be be looking at that um, again um, right. in that kind of way. We, we, we've, we've gone pretty heavily into deregulation, and that's one of the consequences of that. Right. And, you know, back to, um, you know, not to make this too personal, but um, young women, this has been a, a, a mental health um, catastrophe it for has. young women and um, it, it, writ large. Right. And the numbers in terms of uh, depressive episodes. And there's a really interesting study on, um, uh, they did, a, I think it was 18 months on depression and um, use of social media. And something like three times more likely the students who were at the higher end of the social media use, the, the top 25%, were something like uh, two or three times more likely to experience a depressive episode over that time frame. And that right. can be a serious thing too, but even, you know, any depressive episode is, is of, of concern. Right. So there's, there's a problem there. Now, what, how legislation is going to fix that? I don't necessarily know that, but um, I think as a society, it's worth, it's definitely worth our attention to uh, get a better handle on this. I just, in this case, I don't, I don't know the report, um, but almost everybody in my age group, has children um, very very similar in age, somewhere between 18 and 26, I would say. So to one degree or the other, they were either handed a, a device at some point, um, maybe not as young now as many people get them, but 13, 14 for sure. So, or if they were an, an athlete or driving, you know, it's yep. made a lot of sense. My kids hated me because I got them all flip phones. It was like the <laughs> shame. I might as well sew a scarlet A on their uh, <laughs> on their clothes. But they got flip phones and iPods and whatever, and eventually um, smartphones. And so they aren't in the the youngest group. They're um, about to be twenty up through twenty four. But they, um, but they, and all of my friends that have women in particular, um, teenage girls or young adult women, exponentially more than the boys. Although there are a couple guys in this, so all I can—I don't know what the implication of that is. I just know this is my personal experience, not a web or a read or a fake news or whatever. This is my experience, and it is ranged uh, from moderate. Uh, depressive episodes to very, very serious catastrophic episodes in and their in their range. And it's uh, and it crosses socioeconomic boundaries. It's like it's, so many things are different. And so I know our conversation wasn't just about smartphones yeah. in this area, but it but it is a um and now that comes into the classroom. I know somebody I I don't want to get too specific, but they were a um, RA in campus, uh, one of the colleges, and um, they're still going to school. And they, after a couple years of doing that, said, I just can't manage this anymore um, because of part of my job has become, instead of just making sure who's in the uh, dorm and at what time and what's that smell coming out of your room and are we <laughs> right. all healthy and whatever, it's now um, counselor like intervention counselors so yeah. often when these episodes happen and it's it it's 
created such an emotional toll on them that they're now having these episodes. And and, and this isn't to like assert uh, blame or it's just a reality that we're all sort of like, holy smokes, how do we work through this? And it is a challenge. I'm just not, I'm not convinced, even with all of this, that um, I think it's more complicated than just saying, uh, how do we ban? Because mostly it's about like any of these big, hard cultural topics, and I don't need to name them, but there's a bunch of them. How do we, without taking a right or something from somebody, how do we actually solve the problem? I don't know. Again, like I said, I've just been exposed in the last week or two to this conversation. And my first reaction is we should be very cautious. I also recognize this um, high risk of the single most important things. Uh, I can't imagine something other than maybe a relationship with God that's that's more important to human beings than their children and your family and these things around you, um, and then by extension into your community. I mean, that anywhere on earth, if you want to see healthy people, that has to be a healthy environment. I right. don't disagree. I just see have seen programs in the past where they we go in with the right intentions and we impose something right. and it doesn't solve the problem. It takes away a right or a freedom and causes as much mess. So I'm not anti-seatbelts or helmets or things like that. I'm just, let's tread cautiously as we work yeah. through this uh, tsunami that is uh, attacking the most valuable and vulnerable among us, I guess. Yeah. No, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, what's maybe even different from, again, back, I'll say our generation, was the the, uh, the rapidity with which things are changing now. Yeah. So, you know, the, the and I actually have a, a paper on this where I at least introduced the timeline for the introduction of the personal computer to the home. And, you know, it took us a good 30 years for that really to be a very common thing. The mm. Internet in the home broadband is so a little more like um, 20 years, uh, maybe 15 um, and then the smartphone was really, it was like Steve Jobs came up and showed us this thing. And within a decade, we all had them, you know, so there's, right. there's an even shorter one. And and now with this chat GPT or, or AI, at least, and again, you're, you're absolutely yeah. correct. It's been around for a while, but this is really the introduction. It was, it, this was, this was Steve Jobs standing up on the stage um, essentially in November when this got introduced more broadly, because all of a sudden we pretty much all had access to this and we could all see Wow, this is uh, um, at least as educators, this is this is something else. So, so I would just make the you know we have to consider that the the time that it took us to have to adapt to the computer, the internet, um, smartphones, um, it, it's getting smaller and smaller. So we actually have to react a little bit faster. So you know, again, my kids, I wished I'd had taken some different steps certainly early on when it came to how they were using. Uh, social media and how how early they were introduced because you know I was I was a tech advocate I was I was excited about them having some of these things and even some of the games that I let them play or even played with right. them at a certain age you know on reflection I was like well maybe that wasn't so smart yeah um, you know but it's again you didn't you know you can't go back in time and things things are changed rapidly but it is worth the conversation and that's what we're you know we're having right. is we're going to talk about these things and try to make it more broad in the sense that it's transparent. And the, you know, especially our next generation, the kids, how do we, uh, how do we best prepare them for these new issues that are going to come up? Is bringing the device into the room, is that the disrupting part or is it what it's doing to their life when they're away from the room? Is that the disruption or, or is that the wrong way to ask the question? 
you know, it's, 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 it, um, it impacts all of it, right? It's, it's, it's so incredible when you think about it that way. I mean, we can't, we can't function without the thing right now. I, you know, I have to use it to, I, to basically prove that I'm me anymore when I go anywhere online. Right. right? And I have to, I have to use it. It's got my concert tickets. It's got, um, um, it's how I'm going to have to pay for my, my boarding pass. Yeah, my boarding pass, right? Yeah. You're, God forbid your battery's dead or something. We don't let that happen anymore, right? We right. figure that, oh yeah, battery can't be dead. So, so yeah, and in teaching and learning, similar. So there's, there's, yeah, there's these broader issues. There's the specific things that I talked about when you're, these learning situations. But you know, the flip side is this, it's just phenomenally powerful. It's it's so amazing. Right. Um, my Radio Shack days, I sold the the Tandy One Thousand SX. Had a, it was. Um, Sixteen hundred dollars, um, no hard drive. <laughs> For five hundred dollars, <laughs> I'd sell you a twenty megabyte hard drive. I mean, twenty megabytes, right? And now right. look at this thing here, right? Yeah. It's just, so yeah, and, and as a science teacher, I loved a lot of the. Th- I, I again, I wasn't teaching high school at the time, but you can see how all of a sudden taking video of stuff or um, you know GPS. You got a GPS radio in this thing. You know, you've got uh, all sorts of incredible sound um, and video generations you can do. So, so it's it's it can be a real great tool. And you, you kind of mentioned what we talk about is like authentic assessment or authentic learning. You're actually right. in the real scenario, and it's helped um, many teachers to um, to kind of bridge that gap between classroom learning and the and the real world learning you can you can do a lot more authentic things so in that sense it's it's can be a positive absolutely so do you think in all of our conversation and we're going to dive into it here in a second with some of these i think fascinating and a little terrifying uh ai tools that they're as big a risk as just the smart device so there'd be an app that would go on the device but that but but the the power of the smartphone itself so far is that a greater to be treated more carefully than um, uh, the OpenAI tool? I guess in, in my mind, I'm imagining I can be walking around with my five gallon can of you know octane free fuel for my motocross bikes and for my other stuff, and I can be walking around with my Bic lighter to light the grill. They both can cause harm. They both have power. They both, I need to be cautious and understand the limitations of them. This one misapplied is an instantaneously spectacular disaster. This one is probably going to take a minute or two for it to be a disaster. So I don't want to over, you know, be (laughs) melodramatic, but um, there's a lot of noise around. You can type this thing in and it's the end of the age and other people are saying, have you not seen the tsunami that's happened in the last 12 years with this particular group of people in this particular age group? And by the way, I, I, do you know who Andrew Huberman is or Heberman, mm-hmm. I think is yeah, how you say yeah. his name? Yeah. Fat, one of the most fat, I heard him on Lex Friedman yeah. a number of times and Joe Rogan and other shows. I'm just, he blows my mind all the time. And this isn't the same thing. He was talking about a content that I'm not going to talk about here, but he's talking about, we don't know the consequences of dopamine hits. And so there's other things that people can go watch and they cause these dopamine hits. Well, one Mm -hmm. of them um, could be, I don't know if Andrew gets into this, but things like TikTok videos or humorous or whatever. And we get this nonstop stream and it could go into adult content or whatever, but we get this nonstop stream of hits and we just become junkies, whatever the thing is that's our vice. And, And so it seems like, well, we're really concerned about this thing 
leading to plagiarism and uh, artists not getting paid and copyright and all kinds of stuff that we need to sort out. But maybe we're missing this one right here that has got – go if you don't believe us, go try to schedule an appointment with a mental health professional uh, right now f- on your insurance plan. By the way, not private, um, you know, for 300 bucks an hour. Just on your insurance plan, one of the regular ones, and, and get it in the next week, which you could have done five years ago. Forget it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's – yeah, the uh... – the the dopamine hits. I mean, it's it's very relevant because that is that's what's driving a lot of I think is happening. Is you know I live in Las Vegas. We understand you know a little uh, how little uh, ding 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 dings and right. um, you know you keep the carpet wild and the ceiling wild so people's attention is focused. Um, and then you just get them to where they can just they get comfortable, right? And they right. they need that little bit. They don't actually have to make money necessarily, and they they know exactly how how they need to space out the little wins, right? And right. they're they're often little wins, and maybe every once in a while a bigger one, but overall you know we build billion dollar buildings not because right. we're giving away money right right <laughs> so so and the same things happen and the, the the designers of smartphone apps smartphone in general too they recognize that they've, they've read the same literature the same studies so there's there's and that's why every app is asking you hey can we can we can we notify you can we get your attention because right. that's that's where the money is right if they can kind of pull you in uh, fairly regularly so right. yeah it's it's certainly um, a big thing. I mean, it's, it's, a, and again, I think it's important to make sure all of us understand what it's doing to us. And, and we, we probably all need to learn a little bit more about dopamine um, right. because it's, it's really what's, what's kind of driving everything that we want to do. Right. Um, and, you know, that being said, how does it compare then to, um, you know, open AI's new stuff and what's happening? It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a different animal um, in the sense that I don't necessarily know, that this one's going to be a behavioral um, change like this, the smartphone has been for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly a, a, from a existential perspective, it's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, this, this, this is doing a lot of things that a lot of people are spending a lot of time doing and it's doing it quickly and it's doing it um, with uh, you know, some um, modest amount of success. Right. So I had it write a data center rap song. I said, <laughs> Give me three lines rapping about data centers, and you need to include these three or four things in it. And it did it, and it was hilarious. And I wish I had saved it, but I didn't. I should have printed it or saved it in my um, history or whatever. It was, I thought, I couldn't, I'm sure if I somehow got exposed to people who are really good at sort of that quick, hip rhyming, you know, and so many people can... uh, People of a particular, you know, kids or whatever that that are wired that way, they could put something together quickly. But it's way beyond me or my yeah. circle for sure. And it was hilarious and wonderful yeah. and um, creative. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm in a world where uh, you know content generation is a big part of my, you know, what I do. Right. You know, writing papers, um, writing curriculum, those kinds of things. So to see something come up um, with some pretty uh, certainly plausible. Right. And oftentimes pretty accurate um, text is uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, a little bit uncomfortable. And, and you know, as you get to other parts of the world, you know, I like the poems and the rhyming. I you know never had an aptitude for that kind of thing. Right. But maybe I don't need that aptitude now. Right? Yeah. I mean, you it, think about even just saving you're, you're worried that you didn't save that well, because that's this valuable content. It's like, oh, gosh, this is really creative and helpful. Well, 
all of a sudden the value of any particular bit of content just got devalued tremendously <laughs> because this, this, you have this, the content that's getting generated now out of this um, is, is uh, dwarfing what we were doing, what we were, you know, sweating over and spending hours over in the past. So, yeah. Recently we had Brian McGurko on the show from uh, Georgia tech and um, it was a great fun conversation, but he, when he came in uh, off air before we started recording, he's like, are you seeing what's going on with all these lawsuits? And uh, I want to dive more into chat GPT here in a second and some of this other stuff. But he was like, you know, this, the, um, on the back end of the tool, before we get into the implications of it, in, at least as it relates to learning, um, how, how it goes out and grabs data. And, and I'm not an expert on it. I'm, I'm learning like other folks, like what are its data sources? How has it been trained? Um, are there things, but a number of groups have said, hold on, you're, you're leveraging um, our content in a way uh, that we did not intend is, is, I think, the simplistic, friendliest way I could phrase that. And um, he, I don't want to put words in Brian's mouth, people can watch the episode, but it's, uh, um, he, on the, one of the things he does like about it is the creation, the stirring up the mix, the... Um, the, the chaos, he's not pro-chaos just for the sake of chaos, but he and I talked about this idea of with um, Steve Jobs, for example, when he brings, he brought chaos. And if you have no chaos, well, then whatever it is that you're doing just dies. There's no energy. There's nothing. If you don't have control around the chaos, it burns, it consumes it, it destroys it. Um, uh, order doesn't come out of chaos, not not regularly anyway. Chaos comes out of order, and so this for from as it relates to an industry, how do I manage this enough chaos with the right amount of bureaucracy so that I'm moving in the direction I want to move to? You know, I want to harness the wind. I don't need the hurricane to destroy me, and no wind. We die of scurvy out here in the flat sea. So, how do I do that? Um, and so he 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 really digs it. Um, I think it would be fair to say, or at least the potential of it and where it could go. Obviously, one of the conversations that people are talking about is um, plagiarism, but I, I feel like that's almost a, a false flag. But as you have evaluated or you're, you're being exposed to the potentials and the risks of this tool or these tools as it relates to plagiarism, um, Help us to understand the conversation as you're thinking about it. Do you think this is a risk for plagiarism or is it the wrong kind of question? Yeah, so it's, it's a, plagiarism is a, a huge issue, especially at universities and, and you get into graduate work too, because the, um, you know, it's happened um, and it will continue to happen. And um, it's, in, you know, we're in, kind of in the business of generating new knowledge, new understandings, new research. And to do that, you have to be very careful about building upon others, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants and getting credit. So, so we, we really emphasize, um, you know, original content and we have systems in place to check to see if your content is original. And we do this regularly, certainly with graduate programs. If you're doing a dissertation, you know, it's going to go through a plagiarism check. And now most assignments, um, even by default, do that. So right. common tools are something called Turnitin. Right. which works with what we call an LMS, the learning management system. Um, so assignments will get um, rated by that. I, I use something with graduate students called Authenticate. So another corporation that actually is a little more focused on um, academics writing. 
and it's wonderful tools. So I, I don't even run my own stuff through there to make sure I haven't inadvertently copied and pasted or something. And I'm attributing right. um, everything appropriately. But it's great because it'll show me, um, you know, when I'm running the students work through, it'll show me exactly the text that has been um, possibly potentially copied where it came from. And I got a link and I can go and I can see where that is. And, and then, uh, you know, did they cite it appropriately? Some, you know, they, they're, they're, they're supposed to be talking about other people's work, right? And right. then they cite them and they're supposed to rephrase and that kind of thing. So it's, it's really helpful. And, and, you know, a typical, just, you know, for a benchmark, a typical paper is still going to come in with 50% copied, like it could pick out snippets here and there um, that showed up and, and in work, maybe they cited or something. 15% is probably a low end. Well, I did some things on, you know, in, in my area, like cognitive load theory that talks about, you know, how much mental effort things take and, um, you know, your capacity for thinking one time. I said, can you give me a summary of this in, I don't know, two pages or something? And I took that and I copied and pasted and I throw that over into authenticate and say, okay, you know, what's, what's the match here? So you zero. created it in chat GPT and you threw it into authenticate. Authenticate, yeah. Right. I got a zero percent. Never had that before. You know, never had anything under ten percent before, right? So it's it's really, uh, you know, and you're a technology person. You recognize this before I did, probably. It's it's absolutely original text, right. at least in terms of the narrative. You know, that's right. it's true. It's based on a corpus of um, text that existed somewhere else, but the way it's been repurposed, um, it doesn't show up as anything that is being copied. So, so that's a bit of a you know a concern for uh, folks who are asking people to um, summarize other people's work, to come up with original essays on that type of thing. Um, now, I, I know uh, OpenAI has come out with this text analyzer. I don't know if you've seen this, but you know that purportedly it could then help you determine whether or not it's been um, AI generated. So I ran that through the paces a bit. I put in some content that I had done uh, myself. Um, for a paper, and um, it came back as unclear whether or not it was AI generated. And there's five stages. Unclear is kind of in the middle. Um, and I threw in that same text that I threw into Authenticate, and it said possibly. And that was like not it was. It was possibly. It was generated by the same system, right? But right. they they couldn't give you a. You know, there's not much I can do with possibly, right? right. Accusing the student of. Uh, um, so yeah, it's a it's a discussion certainly, uh, right. and there's there's a lot of directions to go with that. You know, you ask about what kinds of assignments are you um, giving. Um, you know, is it sure it can replicate something real generic, but if it gets real specific, is it going to be all that helpful? And is is it even a legitimate activity if something like that can be generated by a, um, a computer or an AI device? Then what's the point of um, asking humans to do it? So. What if I what if I cited Chat GPT or the tool? You know, can I say, hey, right. me and my my robot buddy here, we co-authored this thing, and this is what we came up with. Right. Um, would that be acceptable? Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of part of the debate. Um, and right now, I would say no because Chat GPT, at least in its current iteration, isn't necessarily presenting itself as facts. Right? It's it's more a, a dialogue um, machine. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's providing plausible responses. I've asked it about myself. Um, you know, I said, can you tell me about Kendall Hartley at the university of Nevada, Las Vegas? And it threw out this, you know, very plausible bio, but it has some very specific inaccuracies, you know, like where I got my PhD from. And, um, so right. it's, it's, you know, it's taken biographies out there in places. So it was pulling things in, but then it kind of pulled in some things that it didn't necessarily know, but 
hey, this is, you know, University right. of Utah showed up as my school, which is, I'm in the Southwest now. Okay, maybe. Right. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not, obviously not famous, so um, maybe it's somebody else. But then I read, uh, they were interviewed uh, Vince Cerf, uh, the guy who did TCP IP uh, yeah. protocol, you know. I just had dinner fathers. with him a few weeks ago. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, at the cool. IEIC uh, conference, we were the primary hosts and panelists, and wow. yeah, he's uh, he hasn't been on the show, but we know him well. Oh, that's a good mic drop right there. The inventor <laughs> of the internet, nice. Nobody else, no. He loves Vin. Uh, he never passes up a chance um, with good humor. He's actually one of the funniest guys oh, yeah. um, in that very serious world. He's so funny and good humored. Um, yeah, but he never passes a chance to talk about being the father of the That's internet great. is he I, I keep meeting a bunch of different fathers of the internet I guess the internet was pretty promiscuous but uh, anyway <laughs> uh, so you're talking about uh, Mr. Surf well he uh he he did the same thing. He asked about you know Vince Surf and give me a biography of it. Right. And it screwed him up too. So I figured you know that's right. so it's not necessarily that's probably the, payback. You know I'm going to get him back. <laughs> he didn't give us well. Um, so there are other tools. If we pause on ChatGPT for a second, like I use Grammarly. Are you familiar with mm -hmm, Grammarly? Right. So I use that in, um, I now have it, it's it's like a bamboo. It's invaded everything. Like you, you just can't get it out. And at first I fought it, now I love it. The only thing, it, it, the little Grammarly icon gets in my way and I found that I could just drag and drop right. it. Everything, no, yeah. wrong pronoun, no, wrong comma, no, wrong <laughs> contact, you know. And so I'm just clicking through. I don't remember the last time I used an apostrophe. I just have the tool do it. Like I know an apostrophe goes in there. I don't care. I just want to just keep going. I know where the, is it T-O or T-O-O? -O? I got it. But I, I don't have to do it. The thing will just right. do it for me. And, um, so is it the same impact having these enhancement tools to learning as it is? I mean, I don't think that that falls into self-regulatory as having some of these open AI tools? Is there like a like a degree of, um, you know, if you think about uh, a degree of usage, you think about mm -hmm. um, uh, libel. There's all kinds of things that I would think is libel, but it's actually not, and it's very difficult to prove, right? And you gotta go through all these other things. You can be insulting, you can be rude, you can be discourteous, you may even get punched in the face or worse, but is it libel? So I'm wondering, is there a scale of, enhancement tools that are acceptable in an environment as opposed to those that are just doing the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, like for example, chat GPT, would I cite them? No, but I might. Um, but if I did use it as a, a, a support, that's kind of where people are leaning now is they want to just, they want people to be um, transparent about the degree to which it supported what you're doing. Right. We don't do that with Grammarly right now, but, um, and, you know, Grammarly is coming out the other end. And certainly that's something that you may want to pay attention to. And at some point, if we're going to say, well, yeah, if you use this kind of tool, then um, it needs to be uh, annotated somewhere or acknowledged somewhere that you, you use them. Some people try there. You actually can find some papers out there that put chat GPT as a co-author. Right. Um, but most of the, um, Journals have kind of pushed back against that because they couldn't. You couldn't sue them. Essentially, you couldn't. You couldn't be held again accountable for uh, for what you've what you've done. So they don't necessarily go there. But what you described with libel is really a good um, um, analogy for what we think about when it comes to teaching and learning is scaffolding. You want mm. to provide these structures for folks 
um, initially that kind of helped them make progress towards being a you know proficient independent writer, for example, as what as one possible outcome. And Grammarly is fantastic for that. I and mean, it's it's helped me in a lot of ways to think about things I hadn't in a, because it's it's happening in real time, it's happening in the context, and it's and it's giving me um, some feedback on what I've written with the terms that my English teacher was telling me uh, many years ago, but I didn't wasn't always processing as well as I should. So so it's yeah, that's they're, they're certainly similar, and you can see where Grammarly, it's basically just an add-on to, and these already exist now, people using the chat GPT API uh, to um, finish sentences for them and to uh, summarize statements. So, right. But it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to imagine where this all ends up because so much of what we do is again, generating content, um, whether you're in marketing or education or, um, um, news organizations. Uh, and if we can't tell whether there's a human who did it or not, and maybe it doesn't matter in some sense, right? I mean, I've, you know, you, you see these sports reports now they've, uh, um, journalism has found itself so far down that you can't get a, an actual journal article, a, a newspaper article about a game, but they'll do these AI apps that'll say, yeah, the leading scorer was Devin Booker. And, uh, you know, this is in the fourth quarter, they won by this one, but there wasn't a human involved there. And right. you feel like you're cheated. <laughs> yeah. So. You, you, it feels like you didn't get the whole, um, human experience. You richness you know? of it, yeah. I, um, there's a, are you familiar with the tool called rev.ai? So rev.ai, I got to interview Dan Kokotov, who I heard on Lex um, Friedman one day, and he's a brilliant guy, MIT guy, really smart. He got together with a group of friends, and um, they put together a tool that does uh, speech-to-text conversion. And initially, they built it where you could take a YouTube video or any audio that you've got, even if it's marginal audio off a recording at a conference or something like that, and send it to them. And they had a combination. And so they built a, originally, if I remember this correctly, they, they had a portfolio where you would bring your audio and it would go on this message board and then people would present themselves as, hey, look, I can, I can do that for you, depending upon the complexity of the conversation. And by complexity... It would be, is there an accent involved? Is it speaking into a mic like this or is it in an open room? Um, is it a technical conversation with a lot of scientific terms in a particular area? Like, so, you, so you had these uh, markers. And then people would say, I'll do that. Um, I will create a summary of that. I'll timestamp it, create a summary. I can do anal analytics or analysis. The big idea here was, so it could be this as simple as just dictation. Mm -hmm. And as complex as summary with analytics and other things. So that's how I started. Um, he, once uh, somebody said, so you built this for the gig economy, he doesn't like that phrase, but they built this platform for these, for this population of people. They've then, because they built such a robust data lake and data set, created an artificial intelligence tool that draws off of that data set. So if you bring your recording it has a way to train its ear on different accents, on different technology terms, on different whatever. And for a fraction of the price of a human, mm -hmm. it will run through and do some, I don't think it does all, I don't know if it does the analysis at the end, the highest form, but I might be getting that wrong. But anyway, it does the time stamping and the analysts. Um, it can recognize 
it might not know my name, but it would say, speaker one spoke here because of the timber of his voice and whatever. Speaker two spoke here. And so it does this really interesting thing. So if you tell me, hey, look, I want you to go and um, I want you to listen to these, you know, hear these scientists having this discussion on some topic that's important to us and be prepared to come back to class and talk about it. And you can't use uh, chat GPT or whatever. There are tools like Rev AI that I can go out there and just have it listen to those recordings and basically do a cliff note for me with yeah. a few interesting things for me to 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 snip out of that and bring it back to you. Now, did I learn anything other than how to use this tool? Yeah. For me, it's wonderful because it does a lot of translation, does a, lot, a number of other things in the professional world, but as a student, I don't know. That goes back to yeah. my, what legislation are we going to block? How are we going to do it? How does right. it impact the marketplace? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the corollary with um, education is this idea that, you know, so much of the tasks that we assign are just kind of artificial, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I'm often asking students to summarize an article, um, uh, research article. And it's not because I, I want them to do it. I just want some sort of accountability for them to do it. And so I'm not really all that interested in um, their ability to write well, necessarily in that in that scenario. I just want to know that they read it so we can have a discussion about it. So, um, you know, a lot of our, our assessments, um, we have to kind of think differently about them now because this, 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 you know, that task is just going to be offloaded on something else. Now that's just ridiculous. Or as long as you have students that are engaged, like I said, you've trained or trained, you've, you know, you've helped them understand the value of spending time with reading this article or, or getting engaged with it, as opposed to getting so worried about um, what the output is. Right. Because like quizzes, I'm sure you've had this experience where, you know, especially in high school, we were asked to read a chapter and then we have to take this quiz on it. You're like, I read the chapter, but I didn't remember that date or I missed that part or something. You know, and it's just it's just not they were really just trying to get us interested in reading, um, but they never measured that. Right. They never measured our interest in reading and how how that progresses. Um, Right. But it's it's going to make us really think long and hard about um, the assessments that we use, and it's and it's going to be more painful for folks who haven't engaged in that really difficult um, activity. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not if you're teaching comprehension or if you're teaching um, writing um, composition, not comprehension. If you're teaching composition, yeah, there's there's clearly that your your assessments and your outcomes have to do with some things that are going to be impacted by this. And it's a real challenge. Uh, but those, if you're in any other, almost any other content or your objective isn't necessarily around uh, writing, that's, it's kind of a cursory outcome, but that's, it's, it's interesting. You talked about accessibility early on. And uh, one of the, I, I read about a student who was super excited about um, chat GPT because they felt like they were constantly being penalized in all of their classes, not just their English classes because of their writing ability. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they had the content down, they could really understand the concepts, but they couldn't do as good as others did when it came to writing it. So it's, it's all of a sudden kind of at least leveled the playing field to, for this person who uh, didn't have those particular skills, which I think is kind of interesting. Right? And it's the perfect application of a tool, right? Tools like this are too, enhance the human experience and to um to supplement us i mean uh thank goodness yeah. we have elevators thank goodness we have right. um these other things and people say well now nah, we're just getting fat because of the elevators no we're getting fat because of the donuts at the entrance to the elevators not the elevators <laughs> but it's allowed us to use the land better and um you know all all these other things that we can that when tools um 
are applied in a way that lead to human flourishing. And sometimes it's lumpy in the beginning. We, we don't uh, uh, manage the infrastructure correctly. Um, I am curious, though, and I want to I kind of get to this point, the emphasis on self-regulatory and sort of this, like, what's the big idea? If we're not measuring the right things, we're going to incent the wrong behavior. And this is a weird corollary. Maybe it'll make the podcast. Maybe it won't. But I was listening to somebody the other day talk about this in the context of faith. And there are so many people that, for example, any, I don't know if it's true of all denominations but um, or faith traditions, but there's an opportunity for you to believe that you're a believer of whatever the faith is that is important to you because you go to your place of worship a certain number of times and you do certain activities. Like I, I'm checking the box and number of activities or maybe uh, things that I'm donating to it, either in terms of time or money or whatever, or or maybe it's the, you know, the local animal shelter, whatever it is. I'm going through certain activity. And because I do this activity, that's how I measure it. It's not what my heart it's not the measurement of my heart and what I love and how is it changing my behavior and how I react to either animals or people or whatever it is, this thing. I'm just trying to look at a metric that says, look, if you do, what's the magic formula? If you do some number of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the, in the context of this conversation, if I've got my commas and stuff in the right place, like, I, like I've got the mechanics of this thing, but I really don't know whatever it is that I'm trying to know. I just have parroted, which is really what these AI tools are doing today. At the end of the day, right. it doesn't. Under, it looks like it understands. It doesn't understand. This just got really, really good, and it's really well-trained. It's remarkable, almost miraculous in its ability, but it has no ethic. It has no morality. It's just... Uh, applying, including whatever bias it's got, it's applying an answer that it's been trained to do. And based upon our reaction of thumb up or thumb down, it then adjusts in its next thing, but it doesn't know it. It's just repeating it, if that makes sense. And so I'm wondering, you as a professor in any capacity, high school, middle school, elementary, probably the deeper down the stack we can go, the better, how much emphasis is there in in teaching both parents, administrators that are measuring an outcome, other teachers, and these kids, um, and the value of you know self-regulation and management if, if at the end of the day you don't just want a high school diploma, but you really are almost unemployable because I just don't, you don't have the aptitude right. or the skills to, um, or, or just the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, work ethic to come in and do these things. So that's a lot of words, but I'm, I'm curious as you think through this, do you think that that's really where the emphasis needs to be or is it some uh, other path? Yeah, we're, we're always using kind of proxies for what we're really after, right? So if, you know, you can you can go at the grandest scale, what are we, what are we using the whole system? You know, it says, um, you want every kid to reach their potential, you know, to have a fulfilling right. life, to, ha- to have these things. Um, and you can kind of drill down a little bit. You know, you want them to have a, you know, be able to get gainful employment and these kinds of things. But we have to do these, we, we do these assessments throughout um, to, to figure out if they're headed towards that, whatever, whatever right. that may be. And, but they are proxies, right? They're not real. The spelling tests that you took in elementary school, that's not a proxy for any real world um, activity. Right. Um, it was just us memorizing things. Um, and, you know, you fast forward to, you know, one of my pet peeves at the, in higher ed is, 
we spend a lot of time on um, kind of norm reference tests. So, so we have the criterion reference test is, you know, you know how to um, cat five cable, you can make cat five cable, you can put the ends on it, you can, um, um, you can make that happen. That's a criteria. Right. You can you can either do it or you can't. It works. It doesn't work. Um, norm referenced is I'm going to throw you into a room with a bunch of people and I'm going to say, okay, now I'm going to time you and see how quickly you can do it. And I'm going to uh, grade you based on the norm, right? You're going to be, right. we had to rank everybody. Well, what's the point of that? I mean, there is probably some value in speed, but um, anytime we're doing these assessments where we're, we're comparing people, it's really not all that um, helpful. Right. So I, I really kind of push against these kind of norm reference types of things when we're comparing everybody. And what it does is it forces us to be very clear about what we expect from everybody and what is the exact criterion that we're that we're after. And so when it comes to, you know, any specific class, we assume that everybody can actually meet that criterion. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the class. They, you know, there's no point in me at all if I can't help them. Um, get to that. So, so you can see where you could change the mod mode of assessment to be a, a place where people are uh, can see what they can actually accomplish and they can they can move ahead. Um, you know how that translates then into what the assessments are. It makes you think really clearly about what is it I hope to get out of this. Um, what what should they be able to do? Whether it's Cat Five Cable or be able to you know do a research project. That's that's really where. I'm hopeful that some of these things will really force us to rethink our assessments um, in general to make sure that we're we're clear about what is it they should be able to do with the tools that are now available. Um, Chat GPT possibly being one of our or similar tools because there's all sorts of AI tools now about similar to Grammarly and even Grammarly on steroids. So if you're gonna if you're in the content generation business now, um, I'm not. It's not necessarily my area of expertise, but I can't imagine how you don't engage in that area without having knowledge of these systems and how right. they work. So, Well, you wouldn't because you would be, um, unless you're a savant in your space, um, you'll be at a competitive disadvantage. If nothing else, just in time. If right. I can get something that's 80%, 90%, and I'm familiar enough with it to know what's wrong and I can remove what's wrong. So the five bullet points it gives me, I drop the two, but I've got three that are plausible and I could submit it to, you know, Before and I deadline. can do five of these to your yeah. one that is much more accurate and much more elegant, but it's a five to one ratio. I will eventually dominate. I mean, it's just the way it is. Right. And so, yeah. um, yeah. Th that incentive then is, uh, it's very difficult to hold that back. I was so uninterested in getting a job when I was 17 years old. And then I started dating my girlfriend in high school, Miss Teen Southern California. And she couldn't understand why we just couldn't get out. How did I, I didn't have a car. I couldn't borrow the car. <laughs> well, because I was always in trouble for not doing my chores and not doing whatever. And then I didn't have gas money or whatever. Guess who got a job and started doing his chores and started <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I get way outside my home. So I was incented all of a sudden yeah. to be a productive member uh, yeah. of the world. And, um, she fired me later cause I was an idiot, but, uh, <laughs> it, it was, um, like those, somehow those things, you, you know, and it was, it was, a, it was healthy peer pressure. I think she compared me to my buddies who were working and kind of contributing and, you know, on and on and on. And we had these systems and these mechanisms, these traditions in our communities that were almost rites of passage, like help move us along, right? And they kind of cooperated with our biological and our emotional whatever. And 
one of the things you said really early was the speed at which these things are accelerating, whether chat, GPT, or anything, whatever the next thing is, is as disruptive as the smartphones or some of these other things. They're accelerating so quickly that they accelerate beyond the ability of our systems, the development of our brains, um, the mechanisms around us. Like, how does a parent parent when, when there's so many voices coming in at your kids before, with in certainly my parents' generation, and maybe your parents as well, they were a very big filter on what actually landed and stuck with me, good or bad. Even if they were working hard and were busy and in a, not inattentive, but just exhausted, there was not a lot of, there weren't people knocking on the door. I had, to your point, I had three or four channels. Half of them were Grover and Big Bird or the Brady Bunch mm -hmm. or Mutual Omaha Wild Kingdom or something. There was not um, revolutionary stuff. And it was my friend group that they kind of policed in the neighborhood. And there are certainly, we can find circumstances where that went sideways for a few people. But for the overwhelming majority of us, it didn't. It was a really strong built-in filter. Those barriers are gone. They are. And, and so we've got to cope in this world, whether you're an educator or a parent or some version of that with these boundaries removed. So as we wrap it up here in the last few minutes, how do you, whether it's a dad, like I want to leave people in like a hopeful, how do, no, no. How do we embrace the change around us and recognize the risks, but, but leverage these for our students and for our kids? Yeah, I, I wish I had This is to, how you um, get famous. Yeah, Give us the answer. answers, right? I, I, I am convinced that it's about conversations. It's about, you know, some, uh, um, you, you know, you want to know your kids. And I know that sounds like a platitude, but they, they, you have to have conversations around all of these types of things. And the more you're around them, the more you get to see what they're doing on their phone, right. the more you get to hear about it. It's interesting. One of the best things I've done here recently is we're down, uh, we have one less vehicle than people. So, so all of a sudden there's a little cooperative driving going on and I get, they're actually locked into these conversations. They're, they're in this confined space and they have to talk to me. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's where at least I, you know, as a parent, I think there's, there's opportunities there, um, to, to try to, you know, engage them about chat GPT, about school, about homework. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, ways to get them thinking they just need to talk. They need to right. kind of bounce this off. If, if they only hear about it from whatever is coming on the Twitter feed or um, or the, you know, the kid they're hanging out with, that's the only view get, they get, the only perspective. Right. And whether we like it or not, we're all very conditioned. We're, we're, we're conditioned um, animals, essentially, around we respond in different ways, but we all respond in a somewhat predictable way based on our prior um, experiences. Right. Right. So if you kind of go in with that mindset, it starts to help you think about what is all of, what is all of these things going to mean for me as a parent and as a teacher and as a student? Um, what are the implications of it for for my world? And I think uh, I think that can be really valuable. And I'll, and I'll touch on really quickly, too. You sure. kind of alluded to this. We talk about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, you know, the extrinsic being the, you know, the money or the um, moving on or I just want the grade or and then intrinsic is maybe a little more um, personal development and those kinds of things. And it's just that's that's the other thing that can come up in these conversations is, yeah, you could get by by doing this by um, skating. And that's one way to get that done. Um, what if you did it this way? What what would be the other outcomes um, from that? And what what would you gain? And what would that mean for you as a, a person and where you want to be? So. Right. Do you think the administration, and I, I'm not necessarily saying your school at UNLV, um, but just in general administration, 
at the university level or junior college level, um, they've got to become trying to work through a plan on how do we manage. Because this is, they, you know, many of the things you talked about with smartphones, they've been around for a while and we're figuring out that with the disruption and the distraction and mental health. But these other tools in the way that they're impacting, I think has surprised a lot of people and, and people are scratching their head um, well, well, they're reacting. Like they are absolutely. Look, we're gonna we're either gonna take the slow and thorough, or we're gonna take an immediate or and strong. Do you think this is gonna be a fervor for a while, or or are you hearing in the back end of the circles that you run in? Look, we're gonna we're just gonna take a wait and see. What do you? What is your prediction? Yeah, it's a tough thing to predict. It's actually a, the meeting I had just before sitting down with you was with a, a bunch of administrators at UNLV, and we're talking about okay, this is this is what's happening, and and people are concerned. Um, different people have different concerns, uh, but certainly for a university and a graduate school, when you're producing dissertations and theses and and research, um, it's something that we want to um, you know we want to figure out. We want to make sure we we know what we need to know. Um, right. And that's where we're starting with is making sure we understand the different iterations of chat GPT, but there's also, you know, uh, writer AIs and um, um, all sorts of uh, kind of composition support tools and those kinds of things. What, what's the, the ethical boundary um, of some of these things? And then, um, you know, how does it intersect with what we've known to be plagiarism in the past? And what are we expecting of students? Um, lots of questions to be answered there. But fortunately, I work with a lot of really smart people. And we also have, you know, others that are dealing with the same kinds of things. So we're going to try to figure out how to best utilize that expertise at the university, but then also across uh, the country to to come together in terms of uh, figuring out what this means for folks. But it's right. it's we, we have a ways to go for sure. Well, next time we have you on the show, I expect you to show say we know what we know. <laughs> and uh, and have something there. Kendall, thanks for coming on. I got one last question before we go. Um, when you were talking about, I think it was your nephews earlier at a football game. Was it your nephews mm -hmm. or your, yeah. Where where was that football game at? Uni what state? Uni University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Really? So that had to have been 92 years ago because Go Big Red <laughs> is not one of my very best friends is a diehard Nebraska and oh, really? uh, Chiefs fan. And um, I think his oh, whole yeah. Christmas tree is Nebraska. And so he's taking great solace in the Chiefs and he just yeah. has given up on college football for the time being. Hopefully yeah, they'll yeah. Uh, recover soon. Yeah, yeah, that's been a tough. Yeah, certainly, I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan too. So that's what you do in Nebraska. Is you can reach out to the <laughs> closest right. football team. So yeah. yeah, well, ChatGPT helped him win the Super Bowl and interfered with the refs. If you haven't heard, so oh uh, really? Oh yeah, we're blaming it on every everything on those guys. Kendall, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, please like it. And if you loved it, please subscribe. And we'll see you everybody next time. QTS Experience. Take care.